right, well, welcome um, back, everyone. Sorry about the time we're going. Uh, we are jumping back into our Ephesians series. Last week we had a you know a hard message, a, a message which is just so countercultural about wives submitting um, to their husbands and um, you know the the call of a wife to respectful submission. Uh, and we looked at that that it's actually because that's God's word to us, it's actually best for us. It's freeing for wives, even though it it feels like restriction. It's the restriction of a parachute when you're skydiving. Um, and so it, not like a, a lead ball if you're diving off a cliff. It's a parachute. It actually helps you to be free, to float, to, to soar, even though it feels like death. Um, and this week, we're going to look at Paul's word to the husbands. Um, and we're going to see what he has to say. Um, to us. So let's read from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 33. Oh, sorry, no, 22 to 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot, or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Would you join me in prayer? Almighty God, our Father in heaven, would you bless the preaching of your word this morning? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we come to this passage, which is often well known uh, and well quoted at weddings and things like that, and um, it's something, you know, if, you, if you've joined our church, you understand about complementarian theology and things like that. But for me, as I read this passage, it's one of the most daunting passages you could read in the scriptures because of its high calling and its high bar that it sets for us as husbands. And so last week we looked at how hard it could be and how you know, difficult it could be to be a, a respectful, submissive wife. But I think this week we're going to see just even how hard and sacrificial and painful it's going to be to be husbands. You see, we as men and, and women too, like we talked about women want to be free from restriction. Well, 
The same thing is true for us men. We want to be free from restriction. We want to be free from being told what we have to do. We want to be free from burden and responsibility and accountability. We want to be, you know, masters of our own destiny and not having to do what other people tell us. We don't often like to be constrained and held back. We want to just do what we want to do when we want to do it the way we want to do it. So true freedom for us can feel like being our own boss, making our own calls and doing it the way we want. But the reality of the way that God has designed the world is that when a man loves a woman and they become united in the covenant of marriage, his reality changes. He goes from being a free man to being enlisted in the army, so to speak. Because the world in which we live in is not a peaceful garden like Eden. It's a war zone. And when we join together with a wife, it's like we're being enlisted into the army and we are now the company commander of our little family unit. And so rather than peacetime and we can just kind of float through life and make it up as we go, we're in wartime. There's a battle raging on. Satan is trying to take down the family. He's trying to take down your marriage. Temptations abound, sin abounds, weakness abounds. And so we're more like we're in a war than in a garden. And so the image, you know, for for husbands to experience true freedom is not to imagine ourselves just doing, you know, oh, I'm the leader. I'm I'm free to do whatever I like, whenever I like. That's not leadership as biblically defined. The image of biblical leadership is this. You're in a trench with your family. The enemy is all around. And the safety is over the hill. But to get there, there's only one way. You have to draw up a plan. You have to have a vision. And then you got to fix your bayonet, jump the trench and make the run for it for the good of your family. We don't live in a neutral world or a neutral ground. And so leadership isn't like the British colonels drinking tea out in the safety of the barracks and ordering the men to go out and die. Biblical leadership for husbands is us men in the trenches with the good of our family on our backs, with freedom in front of us, flourishing in front of us. But to get there, we have to take on sacrificial responsibility and we have to run and take our family through the dangers of this world into the promised land, which is heaven. Freedom for men doesn't mean the absence of responsibility and accountability. True freedom and flourishing for us as husbands is to take on sacrificial headship. True freedom for husbands is not the absence of accountability and responsibility and the freedom to do whatever we like. True freedom for us is to take on sacrificial responsibility for our families to lead them into freedom. That's the image we have of freedom for us. And it's a hard one. Just like it's hard for wives to lay down their lives at their husband's feet and say, you lead, you're the head. It's equally as hard as the husband to have a wife lay her life down at your feet and then now you're responsible for it all. Everything in the family lies upon you. You're the head, you're the commander, you're in a war. And leadership means death, death to comfort, death to freedom, death to whatever we want. 
Leadership means we go first into the firing line for the sake of our families. And so the main idea, the main point I want us to see again is the same as last week, that in order to flourish as families, we need to embrace our God-given roles and practice our God-given duties. There's no other way for families to flourish, for husbands and men to truly flourish, than to embrace their God-given role and practice their God-given duty. It may feel like death, and Jesus said it would be, to take up our cross and follow him. But death always leads to life. That's the way of Jesus' way. So two points today. Two points to help us understand what it means to be the head of our homes. Number one, husbands are called to embrace sacrificial headship. That's kind of how, so wives with respectful submission. Husbands, it's sacrificial headship. And point number two, husbands are called to practice sacrificial headship. And to flourish as families, we have to embrace our roles and practice our duties. And that's what leads to true life. So boys, let's jump in and everyone uh, to point number one. Husbands are called to embrace sacrificial headship. So Paul has spoken to the, uh, the Ephesians about what it looks like to be new creatures in Christ, that they have a, a calling and they're to live in light of that calling, a worthy life. It looks like putting off the old self and putting on the new. It looks like imitating God. It looks like being full of the Holy Spirit. And now he comes to the household code and he, and he shows wives what it looks like for them. It means you're still to be submissive and respectful but you do it in worship of Jesus. You do it by the power of the gospel. And now he turns to husbands and he outlines what their role and their duty is to be, to be men full of the spirit who do this. So what is our role? We've already hinted at it lots and already said it, but let's read verse 23 again. Or verse 22 and 23. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Why? The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. You see here, headship is stated, um, or headship is stated, not commanded. So headship is the reality which we entered into when we put a ring on her finger. In that moment, we were united in a covenant and we became the head of that covenant, the head of the home the federal representative of our wife and our families. We're not commanded to be the head of our homes. It just is the reality. But if you're anything like me, um, to be honest, this just really has confused me. I've been married nearly 10 years, but this whole concept of leading the home, being the head, it's really taken me, and I still don't fully get it, to be honest, but it, it's, it's taken me so long to wrap my head around this whole concept of headship, this whole concept of what it looks like to be the head. Like I understand I'm meant to do things, right? <laughs> I'm sure you guys get it. We know we're meant to do stuff. We know we're like the leaders, but what, like, what does it mean? Like flesh it out. I think part of the problem is that a lot of us haven't seen this practice practically. 
We haven't seen strong, godly male heads in homes. We haven't seen the examples of it. And so we can leave this just a bit like, I don't know what to do. Also, just the burden of it, the hardness of it, makes us want to just cringe and and fall back. Because it's hard, we don't want to invest into it. We'd rather invest elsewhere. So what is biblical headship? We can't figure out what we're meant to do until we understand what it really is. And I think John Piper's definition is very, very helpful, which will come up on your screens in a moment. So what does it mean to be ahead of your home? Well, this is how he defines it. Biblical headship for the husband is the divine calling to take primary responsibility for these things, for Christ-like servant leadership, protection, and provision in the home. Okay, so that's like a lot of things, (laughs) hence why it's daunting. But biblical headship for the husband is the divine calling to take primary responsibility. So not like we don't let our, it's not our wife's job to take responsibility for those things, but it's not like we do everything. Okay. So we share part of what happens in the home, but who's God going to call upon on that final day? It's us. So primary responsibility falls to the husband. And what does it fall for? What are we meant to do? Well, we're meant to have a type of leadership. And the type of leadership, John Piper, um, from the scriptures, very clearly, this is just straight. You could, I give you a hundred, ver- maybe not a hundred, but I give you a lot of verses which would cross-reference this. To have Christ-like leadership. So we saw that in the passage. Just like Christ is the head of the church, so the husband is the head of the wife. So we're to have Christ-like servant leadership. Um, and we're going to touch more on that later. And what do we do? Protection and provision. So the big call of God on a husband as given to Adam in Genesis chapter two was to work the ground and to keep it. And those commands still apply to every Adam in every home. We are to work the ground and to keep it, to provide and protect. We provide and it's broad what that means. It's not just provide bread on the table. That's a limited view of headship. The headship of the home is broad provision economic provision, spiritual provision, relational provision. It's a provision which looks at all the relationships, all that's going on and says, I'm going to make sure that what we need as a family to get done, what God wants us to get done, I will provide that. I will make sure that that happens. I will use the resources and abilities and talents and the wife and the kids and the home and the job and the education and the creativity. I'll use all of that to provide for my family so that we can um, fruitfully flourish. And then we're to protect it. We're to protect our homes, to keep out negative influence, to protect us literally from bad people. You know, we protect our wives and our daughters from bad men um, who will come in and destroy, from bad friendships who are leading people astray, from bad messages, bad teaching, bad theology, bad songs. Our job as husbands is to stand at the head, like Christ, serving our wives, providing for the family and protecting the family so that we may truly flourish and see Jesus's glory spread throughout the earth. That's what headship means. Provision and protection like Christ does for the church. 
But I, again, I still think that these can just be broad concepts, right? This is like, okay, I get it, sort of. Um, but if we haven't seen good examples of it in the home, I think we can actually genuinely turn to other places to find helpful examples of what headship looks like and then apply the principles into the home. For instance, sport. I think we see the principles of headship applied really well in sports teams. Take, for instance, my favourite, the Australian cricket team. This is like my go-to illustration. Um, the Australian cricket team, you know, every player has a role and has a skill, but there's one person on the team who's responsible for that team. That's the captain, even more so than the coach. The captain takes all the skills and responsibilities of each team player, and when they're on the field, figures out how to use those skills and you know, abilities for the good of the win so that the team goes forward. So the bowler might get up and be like, well, I want to bowl this, but the captain says, no, no, bowl it here in this spot. We're trying to get him out on the offside. So then the captain moves the fielders to where he wants them to go. The bowler has to submit to the captain because ultimately the captain is the head of the team. He calls the shots or she calls the shots in the Australian women's cricket team. The captain is the head. And if it goes well, the captain gets the glory, in a sense. The captain gets the honour. You did a good job. You utilised the resource as well. And if it goes badly, the captain gets harassed, <laughs> you know, and shamed, and, and, and rightly so, because they're the head. That's their position. That's what they're to do. So in some small way, you can make this jump. If you're a sports guy and you look at lots of sport, you can look and go, okay, what is, you know, what does being the head of my home look like? Imagine this, your family is a team. You are the captain of the team. Get the win by utilizing your family to make your family go forward. And it all lands on you. Or perhaps business is a helpful way to look at it. In every business, every large corporation, there's a CEO, the chief executive officer. Now that chief executive officer doesn't do everything in the business, they can't. But what they're responsible for is having a vision and a strategic plan to get that business where they think the business should go. To have bold initiatives, to have grand visions, and to enable every working part of that organization to cohere despite the challenges and the external circumstances and get the profit, to turn a profit. And if it goes well, the CEO gets rewarded and gets honor. And if it goes badly, the CEO gets fired. Now, you can't get fired from your family, but you can get the shame that comes from leading poorly. For guys who are in business, often guys spend a lot of time thinking about their workspace and making their job awesome and progressing their career, but their home is, you know, can be terrible. What we ought to do is to take that level of leadership and ingenuity and creativity and innovation that we use in our workspace and use it on our most important relationship and sphere which is our home. So in some ways you can use the image of a CEO and think I am the CEO of my family. I'm the head of the organization. I don't do everything, but I'm responsible for everything that happens. A final one you could look at would be um, Prime Minister Scott Morrison. He's the head of the Australian Liberal Party um, and the Nationals. And you know, if you go back to March 15, you know, coronavirus was nothing and then suddenly it's everything. And the whole strategy of the entire nation falls on his head. Whether it goes well or poorly, people die. Whether it goes well or poorly, jobs are lost. Whether it goes well or poorly, you know, it all comes back to him. 
He has to organize all the strategy and the teams, put people in positions, give ideas, be held accountable, hold people accountable when they don't do the job. He's the head of the government and we expect him to lead. And if Scott Morrison did nothing and just sat back and said, oh, we'll just wait and see, and things went poorly, he would receive, you know, the shame that would come to him. So there's three examples to try and help make it practical and envisioned, uh, enfleshed. Headship, for us men, we've got to think we're the captain of our team. We're the head of our organisation. We're the, the minister of home affairs. That's our job. And just like we'd expect a captain to lead, a CEO to lead, a, a, a politician to lead, we ought to expect ourselves to lead our homes, to provide, to protect, like Christ does for his church. And this, when you, when you put it in those terms, CEO of the home, captain of the team, minister of home affairs, I think it's even more daunting. It's easy to kind of coast through just family life and you eat breakfast and you work and you come home and another day goes past. But when you see yourself as the head with all the responsibility, all the, you know, all of it coming back to you, I find this daunting and terrifying. And I actually just see so much failure in my 10 years of marriage. I see so much, so many times I've dropped the ball. I've been just sitting in the trench rather than jumping out and going ahead. I haven't taken initiative. Uh, and that's, you know, and, and the family bears the weight of that and the bears the fruit of that. That's why Douglas Wilson says this. Because the husband is the head of the wife, he finds himself in a position of inescapable leadership. Inescapable leadership. He cannot successfully refuse to lead. If he attempts to abdicate in some way, he may, through his rebellion, lead poorly. But no matter what he does or where he goes, he does so as the head of his wife. This is how God designed marriage. Brothers, husbands, we are in a position of inescapable leadership. The question is, or the question isn't, are you the head of your home? No, no, you are the head. That's verse 23. The question is, are you a good head of your home or a bad one? Are you a present head or an absent head? Are you initiative taking head or a passive reactionary head? Are you a vocal head or a silent head? Are you a head of your home who has a vision, a plan and a goal for the flourishing of your family? or one who is at best making it up moment by moment, or at worst, throwing your wife in the firing line and say, you do it. Brothers, it's not about whether or not we are the head. We are. It's about what type of head are we? And how do you know what type of head of the home you are? Well, as we do with all things, we look at the fruit. Assess the fruit that you see in your family, in your household the relational fruit, the spiritual fruit, the economic fruit, the joy fruit, the order fruit. Look at the fruit of your children and, and their lives and how your wife is going. And that's how you can tell how, what type of head you are. 
That's how you can know whether you're a good head or not. And I'm not trying to condemn us. I'm not trying to make us, because all, obviously all of us go, well, the fruit's not as good as it should be. But just like we do with business and sport and government, we hold people accountable for the real results of what's going on. We need to hold ourselves accountable and say, if I see any bad fruit in my home, I will repent and take responsibility for it. And then I'm going to seek help to make a change because I'm the head and it falls on me. So I don't have to be perfect. That's Christ. Jesus is the perfect head, but he's delegated this responsibility to me. I'm going to give it everything I've got by the power of his grace and for the glory of his name. So to flourish as families, brothers, we need to embrace our God-given role. We are to embrace sacrificial headship. We're the head of our homes. No one else can fill that space. Only you, only me. And for single guys, as you prepare marriage, that'll be you one day. And so we need to embrace that as our role, not shirk it, not avoid it, not close our eyes, not duck, not cover, not throw our wives and say, well, you do it. No, it's our job to embrace it and to define and see ourselves as I am the head. And we do it for the good of our families. We do it so that they will flourish. So that's point number one. Husbands are called to embrace sacrificial headship. So how does a good Christ-like servant-hearted head lead? Well, that leads us into verses 25 to 33. And that's point number two. Husbands are called to practice sacrificial headship. So it's no good just like having it as theory. Um, we need to put it into practice. There's, there's divine imperatives given to us that we have to do. And in fact, I'd say we get to do. So we need to put our role into practice if we ever want to see the fruit that we want to see. And that's exactly where Paul goes. So he, he establishes husbands of the head, verse 23. Implied in that is we're meant to lead. And then what does that look like? Well, verses 25 to 33. And in this section of scripture, the Apostle Paul defines husband headship, or he, he, de he describes it by using the term love. What should headship look like in a home? It ought to look like loving sacrificial headship. Six times Paul mentions the word love in this. Three times he commands us to love. I think there's a, <laughs> clearly, you know, there's something, you know, that's not naturally happening. Husbands aren't naturally loving their wives. And so Paul has to make it very clear that this is what it looks like to be a husband. It's not just to lead barking orders from the couch, but to lead with love. And so in this section, Paul outlines three ways in which we lead with love. And these are our kind of application points. This is what it looks like to practice sacrificial headship. Three ways we love. So way number one, the Christ-like head leads with sacrificial love. 
So what does it look like to be the head? Well, we lead with sacrificial love. Read verse 25 with me again. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Let's break that down a little bit. He's addressing again husbands. That's us, okay? So if you're a husband, this is you. This is your command. The command is to love, not like, not tolerate, you know, not just, you know, do things, not just do a job, duty, but to love, which means to seek the good of another at cost to yourself. To love, and who are we to love? Love your wives. What does it look like to be ahead? It's to love your wife not plural wives, he's speaking plurally, but not, don't love your wives, have one and love her really well. Not your kids, primarily, not your hobbies, not your daydreams, not your jobs, not your career. This is our calling. Love your wife. The one whose hand you held in marriage. The one you made vows to, to keep and protect until death shall do you part. Love her. Love her with everything you have. And what's the example he gives? Well, love her as Christ loved the church. Jesus is our model and his sacrificial death on the cross for all of our sins is the model. Notice what Jesus did. He didn't love in word. He didn't love by writing a card from heaven. No, he gave himself up. What does love look like? It's sacrifice. How can you know if you're truly loving your wife? How much are you sacrificing for her? You see, Jesus came from heaven to earth, denigrated himself to being a human, and then took upon himself complete obedience to the Father, and then died a costly and horrific, torturous death to win his bride back to himself. That's what sacrificial love looks like. We give ourselves up for her. Our sacrifice is not just in general. It's for the good of our wife. It's for her well-being. It's for her nourishment. It's for her growth. It's so that she is better, so that she loves the Lord more, so that she flourishes in life. This is why when biblically defined marriages work, when a wife submits herself to her husband, a husband then lays his life down, not to give her whatever she wants, but to give her what she needs, to provide for her so that she flourishes. It's a beautiful picture. It's a picture of safety. It's a picture of protection and health. To give yourself up for your wife is to, at times, lose respect in community, to maybe lose career advancement to lose, you know, economic position at times. It's sacrifice to lose your hobbies, to lose, you know, time that you would have spent on yourself for her. We are called to love like Christ loved us, the church. We lead by loving. We lead by loving. And loving is dying. Loving is dying. It's death to self, death to comfort, death to freedom, death to hobbies, death to whatever we want if it gets in the way 
of laying our lives down for the good of our family. This is why no one should be excited about leadership, headship. You shouldn't be excited about it because if you are, you don't have a biblical perspective most likely. If you think head leadership means, yeah, I get to be the boss of the home, woo, you're lost. Headship means death. Headship means losing yourself, dying to yourself so that others may live. And that's why biblical responsibility and headship doesn't stress the privileges of leadership, but rather the responsibilities of leadership. This is not, yeah, the boys get to rule, be quiet, you women. It's, no, yeah, the boys get to die so that the women can live. That's what biblical leadership looks like. And note too, this is a heavy burden, and this is a hard thing that we have to take upon ourselves. But we have to protect against an error that can often be made and an error that I have made in this area, which is this. To be a sacrificial leader in my home is not to be a second helper. We cannot confuse servant leadership with becoming our wife's helper. She doesn't need you to be Eve. She needs you to be Adam. And what I mean is this, this is how I failed in the past. I used to pride myself on the fact that I was very helpful at home. I would wash up and clean and be present with the kids and do lots of things. And I would help a lot, which is really good. And I'm not saying don't do that but I abdicated my headship. I gave Maddie responsibility for leading our kids, for training them, for how we did parenting. In a lot of areas of our life, not all, I gave, I put her in the front lines and said, whatever you want, Dar. And by abdicating, I actually made her the head in that sense. And I was helping her. So I was Ephesians 5.25, loving her, you know, sacrificing my time and energy. I'd stay up and clean. But really what was actually happening was I was being her second, I was being her helper. Rather than taking the time to envisage for the family what we're meant to be doing and then sacrificing myself to make that happen, I was passive. I abdicated. She was setting the vision and I was helping her make it happen. Brothers, this is not sacrificial headship. What we need to do is set the vision and then die to ourselves to make it happen. That's what Paul is saying. So don't become a second helper. Lead by laying your life down to make it happen. Don't bark orders from the couch. You know, your masculinity isn't going to wash off when you do the washing up. It's, that's not how it works. Serve like crazy at home, but do not abdicate your responsibility to lead. So what does sacrificial headship look like? Well, Paul has told us in verse 25, It looks like sacrificial love, laying our lives down for the good of our homes. Number two, the Christ-like head leads with sanctifying love. So we had sacrificial love. Now we have sanctifying love. Read verse 26 and 27 again. One sec. So, He gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. You see, Jesus gave himself up 
so that the church, his bride, would be sanctified. That means be made pure, be made holy, be made set apart. Now, we cannot do this for our wives. That's Jesus' job. But if his intent of laying down his life was to have a holy and pure bride, we can imitate that same intent. One of our goals, one of the ways we're the heads of our home is by helping our home and particularly our wives to be sanctified. If Jesus wants his church to be without blemish, pure and holy, we follow our leader, the leader of the church, by having the same goal. We want to see our family holy and without blemish. One of our roles as husbands is to love our wives spiritually. We're providers spiritually, not just physically. We don't just put bread on the table. We put the bread of the word of God on the table too. It's our job to lead the worship, to lead you know, our wives to enjoy the Savior. Now, you may have a very godly wife who's a self-starter and gets it all done herself, but that doesn't mean you're still not responsible for that. You can help her, promote her growth. You can be a part of it. So what does this look like practically? Well, one way of asking you know, what this looks like practically is to ask this question. Is your wife better off spiritually as a result of marrying you or despite of you? So is your wife spiritually stronger because of you or despite of you? And brothers, let me encourage you. Be the chief source of spiritual encouragement in her life. Know what she's reading in the Word. Know what she's struggling with. Know what books and podcasts and music is feeding her soul. Be involved in her sanctification process. There's going to be times when you need to point out sin in her life. Do not be afraid. You have a duty to rebuke her with love and gentleness and tenderness so that she may be sanctified. We are called to love our wives with sanctifying love. So we have sacrificial love. The verse then, 26 and 27, shows us we have sanctifying love. And then verses 28 and following, the Christ-like head leads with satisfying love. Let's read verses 28 to 30. In the same way, husbands, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. In this section, Paul again is commanding the Ephesian men to love their wives. They need to be told again, love your wife. And what he does here is he puts together two ideas, okay, and and gives them a motivation to love their wife. The first idea is this, love your wife like your own body. Okay, and, and you love your wife like your own body um, because you are actually one flesh with your wife, which is why Paul then goes on to quote Genesis 2 in verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father, fa- father, <laughs> father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So the reality is, is that your body is her body. Your souls are intermingled. What's good for you is good for her. What's good for her is good for you. We're one flesh. So Paul puts this idea of one body 
And then he takes the second commandment, which is to love your neighbor as yourself and gives this motivation to us as husbands. Husbands, if you love yourself, love your wife. (laughs) If you want to see yourself flourish and get better, then love your wife and put her first. Because your body and your life is intermingled. You can't thrive as a man if your wife is depleted. So serve yourself by serving your wife. That's kind of Paul's logic here. Love your wife and it will come back to make you flourish as well. And what does that look like in particular? He says two things. Satisfy her needs her by nourishing her and cherishing her. Nourishing her and cherishing her. Nourish means to feed, to provide, to give what she needs. We've already looked at that. But I want to just slow down there and cherishing her. So just like we nourish our own body and cherish our own body and make sure we're looked after, cherish our wife. The word cherish is a very warm and affectionate term. Paul uses it to describe his like motherly care of the Thessalonians. Do you have cherishing thoughts of your wife? Do you have warm and affectionate, gracious thoughts? When when your wife pops into your head, do you think, I just cherish her? I love her. I respect her. I have affection for her. That's what Paul is commanding here. And that's what God is commanding us to do for the good of ourselves. That's kind of how it works. It's not selfish. It's like enlightened self-interest, you could say. So it turns the negative paradigm of submission on its head. The ugliness of chauvinism is wiped away. The heads lead by sacrificing themselves to nourish and cherish their wives. It actually can't get more beautiful than that. And one amazing example I've seen of this um, is of a theologian, a guy called um, Wayne Grudem, if you've ever heard of him. Now, Wayne Grudem was an incredibly respected theologian, um, worked at the best, probably one of the best, um, you know, schools in America, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, with guys like D.A. Carson, Douglas Moo. Like, these are, you know, these are the big dogs in the theological world. But his wife suffered with fibromyalgia. And in the cold climate of Chicago, her body would often seize up and be in pain, chronic pain all the time. One year, um, some family friends invited uh, them to go and stay in their holiday house in Arizona. So they drove down or flew down into Arizona and spent the week there. But amazingly, while she was there, her pain and her symptoms were dramatically reduced. They were able to go for long walks, which they hadn't been able to do for like 12 years. They went for bike rides together. Suddenly, her body and her health came back to her. And they remarked, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could live here? So what was Wayne Grudem, who, by the way, is like very big on all this submission and authority, all this stuff, the headship of the home. What does he do? Well, he reads Ephesians chapter five and says, what would it look like to love my wife as my own body? Well, if my body was plagued with fibromyalgia and I was in constant pain all the time in Chicago, but I'm in the warm climate and dry climate of Arizona, I'd want my body to be in Arizona. I'd want to move so that I could be there. So he brought it to his wife and and said, honey, I think we should move to Arizona so that you can experience life and health again. 
She said, no, 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 you can't do that. You're in a respected position. You're producing things for the good of the church. You can't do it. He went and found a, a seminary called Phoenix Seminary in Arizona, said, hey, I'm, I'm Wayne Grudem. Can I have a job? And they said, uh, is this a joke? Eventually it wasn't. And they offered him a job. And she, he was able to convince his wife to let them move the family to Arizona so that she could flourish, so that she could thrive. This is what sacrificial headship looks like. This is what nourishing and cherishing our wives can look like. Laying down our privileges, laying down what we want to see happen for ourselves so that they can flourish. I think it's a beautiful example of what biblical headship looks like in practice. So, brothers, this is hard. This is daunting. This is terrifying because this means death for us. This means sacrifice. This means laying down ourselves so that others will thrive and we will bear more burden and responsibility. And that's why we need to end by reminding ourselves that we can't do this perfectly, that we can't bear this load on our own. We can't be the husbands we ought to be. We can't be the heads we hope to be. But we follow Jesus, who is the head of the church, who is the ultimate head of your wife, the head of your home, the head of you. And we can repent of our failures, take them to the cross where our head died and took responsibility for us. And then we can go to the cross and ask, Jesus, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your power so that I can be the head you've called me to be. Brothers, if you're condemned, repent and move forward. If you're daunted, plead for grace and move forward in dependence and obedience. And we need each other. We need one another to spur each other on in this, to give examples, to rebuke and correct. We cannot do it on our own. So putting it all together, we see that God has given us this unique opportunity to be the ones who bears responsibility for the home, sacrificial responsibility. We're all in the trenches. No man, no husband can avoid that. Freedom lies before us, but it's in enemy territory. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? If you sit there and do nothing, the enemy will advance and take over. We all have a calling to fix a bayonet, to write a plan, and to get out and to lead our homes, avoiding the enemy and going forward into freedom. And we do it all by the grace of Jesus, by the power that he won for us on the cross. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I pray and ask that you would help us to be sacrificial heads, to love our wives with sacrificial love, sanctifying love, satisfying love. Lord, there's a million ways we could put this into practice. Would you give us just one, even today, one way in which we can lay ourselves down, one way in which we can imitate you, our Savior, one way in which you can help us to overcome our failures, to overcome the pride and the selfishness and the comfort which rises up in us. Lord, we're daunted. We need your grace. Fill us with your Holy Spirit.
that we may lead as you have called us to. And we pray this in Jesus' name.